What's going on, podcasting world? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Core Console RX podcast. My name's Mike Corvino. Cole Swanson is with me, as always. Except Cole. for last time. Except for last time. It's mm-hmm. a good point, Cole. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm still not going to let you quite, forget. Still hasn't quite gotten over that one. I think you called out my commitment on that podcast, I, I did, actually. I did. Yeah. It's not going to lie. I, I think that it. was two episodes ago, actually. Oh, uh, it wasn't? So, okay. yeah. So, I think you need to come. Oh, huh. Yeah, yeah, the I double gotcha. episode record. Yeah, we flip we flip flopped them a little bit. You guys never saw it coming. Yeah. Hi to a person on Instagram. <laughs> it just said hi. Oh, good. <laughs> hey, how's it going? We'll wave. So uh, today, Cole, what are we doing? Uh, well, we can actually. I'm going to give a shout out to Tara, who gave us this uh, idea for a topic that I was very surprised we hadn't done yet. Tara. Tara. Call. Farm D. Uh, osteoporosis. Talking about bones. Um. Very, very common disease state, and I'm really surprised that it hasn't come up in the first 75 episodes. Yeah, and, uh, and you checked, right? I did, yes. Okay, good. Osteo, the only osteo we've done was an overview of osteoarthritis. So today, uh, one of my students asked me if um, we have done osteoarthritis, and I said, uh, I said, yeah, it was episode 27. She's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. You have them all memorized. I was like, no, no, no. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> I said, uh, you texted Cole. I said, Cole went ahead and sent me a text and told me we've already said it because I asked him if we've even talked about that before. And uh, so, yeah, she thought that was funny. But, um, and then one of the other guys in my class was like, yeah, he seems like he's a lot more organized between the two. I was like, yeah, that's a good, a good way of putting it. Uh, we just have a list. That's all. Yeah. A searchable list. Searchable list. Yep. Thank God. You can thank our um, host, our, uh, online host for that <laughs> i don't even know what it's called because you do all that <laughs> see that's right we're a great team yeah we one of us have the clue what the other one does i can i can search uh topics and he handles the recording stuff yeah i just i just push the post button yeah and it goes online there you go i'm basically a programmer all right so osteoporosis um so with this one we're going to kind of do like a brief overview um, because you can break this down and obviously based on like postmenopausal women, you can bo- uh, break it down into uh, men, you can break it down into like secondary um, issues going on and like medication induced osteoporosis. There's a whole bunch of things that uh, can kind of, a whole bunch of different ways to differentiate um, osteoporosis. So we're going to mostly just kind of go over the drugs that are used and we'll talk about the indication stuff, but we're not going to go super in depth into any one type, if you will. Yeah, you could do, we could do multiple um, side podcasts on the different indications and things like that, but I think we'll, we'll get a good overview of the most common things you're going to see and what you're probably uh, going to have to deal with in the primary care setting yeah. for the most part, and when to like screen people and that kind of thing. Right. So bone mineral density, we'll start there. Sure, go for it. So basically, you know, bone mineral density is something that is kind of constantly um, remodeling and, and, and regenerating. And so we have osteoblasts, which are going to be the cells that are going to build uh, bone or cause bone formation. And we have osteoclasts, which cause the bone breakdown or resorption. Um, this, you know, this breakdown, um, as people get older or other things can have, you know, going on, whether it's different medications or whatnot, um, can kind of uh, disrupt the balance and you get more breakdown than you do build up. And um, so we need to suppress the osteoclasts and figure out uh, what's going on and hopefully restore some of that bone mineral density back to its original uh, strength. 
yes. at least uh, for, uh, similar strength. And, and that's the primary goal of most of the first-line medications. There's other medications, monoclonal antibodies, um, other estrogen receptor modulators um, that you can use that are going to target other things, um, rank L. Um, we'll talk about one of the drugs that targets that, which is kind of at the end of that process of bone um, remodeling that you can target. Uh, Mike talked about some of the things that can cause it, other things, estrogen deficiency. That's why premenopausal, postmenopausal is very important. Calcium deficiency. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the role of calcium and vitamin D and how that's controversial um, and vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, they help maintain the uh, the bone homeostasis along with the parathyroid hormone. Uh, but osteoporosis is the most common metabolic bone disease. Uh, it's it's very similar to hypertension in that it's very clinically silent uh, until it manifests as a fracture. Hypertension, clinically silent until it manifests as um, some type of a heart event, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's um, multiple fractures um, that can occur. Some are more severe than others. We're all familiar with ho uh, with uh, hip fractures, vertebral fractures, uh, but there's uh, many others. Two-thirds of vertebral fractures are actually painless, uh, and they find them later or because someone is having some type of acute pain that um, may follow a fall or minor trauma. Um, the pain might be localized to a specific identifiable vertebral level, um, and that's how they find it, and it usually resolved after a few weeks. So they have to do testing to see how severe it actually is. So some of the medical conditions um, or comorbid conditions that patients may have where you are more susceptible to developing osteoporosis would be things like a patient that has certain eating disorders like anorexia, um, patients that have diabetes, um, certain uh, gastrointestinal diseases like irritable, um, or not irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease rather, celiac disease, things like that. Um, also, uh, hyperthyroidism can play a role. And then uh, menopause is, is also a big um, reason we see it in older women. Um, in general, females do seem to be more likely to get it than males. And then um, as far as ethnicity goes, usually Caucasians and Asian American women are increased risk. Um, and then patients that are older are typically the ones that we see this kind of developing, um, as well as patients that have an overall low body weight. Right. Um, like I said, it's very common, like he said, mainly women. In 2010, there were more than 10 million adults over 50 years old that had osteoporosis, um, with 43 million having a low bone mineral density. So we'll talk about how to classify those and how to test for that. Um, Mike talked about that a little bit. In 2015, as many as 2 million Medicare beneficiaries um, had 2.3 million osteoporotic fractures. So this is why that's important. Um, fracture might not seem like that huge of a deal. When you're young, you have a cast for a few weeks, and uh, you're good to go. Uh, but in elderly patients, it's associated with um, increased risk for subsequent fa fractures following it um, and increased risk for mortality. So mortality was highest in this study from 2015 uh, in those with hip fractures with 30% almost a third of patients dying within 12 months of their hip fractures, uh, which are usually preceded by a fall, um, which is why, and that goes into a whole other conversation about the Beers criteria, uh, medication safety in the elderly, and the fact that pretty much everything is on the Beers criteria. There's a reason for that. Usually 
frequently if it has if it's a CNS depressant, it's going to increase risk for falls, and if we have a hip fracture, significantly increases the risk for mortality. I'm going to go through some medications that can potentially cause yeah, it. Let's do it. So some of our anticonvulsants, um, specifically like phenytoin, uh, phenobarbital, carbamazepine, um, can potentially mm-hmm. induce an osteoporosis. Um, lithium can also be uh, one of the culprits. Um, PPIs, which we know that can, because you're increasing the gastric pH, you are going to decrease the calcium absorption, so that can lead to problems. Um, steroids uh, taken daily, so like more than five five milligrams or more of prednisone or an equivalent dose of that um, taken for greater three months or more would be something that we would consider putting a patient at risk for osteoporosis. Um, there's also things like loop diuretics where you're going to get a decrease mm-hmm. in uh, calcium. Uh, SSRIs have even been known to cause it. So um, uh, TZDs. So there's several uh, things that can decrease bone mineral density. Um, yep. So that's, that's drug-wise. There are other risk factors. Uh, we talked about female sex and Caucasian descent. Uh, but history of an adult fracture also puts you at increased risk. Um, dementia, poor health, those are non-modifiable risk factors. There are some modifiable risk factors that you can talk to your patients about. Cigarette smoking, of course, because it causes uh, everything. Um, Mike mentioned low body weight. We already mentioned estrogen deficiency. Alcoholism, uh, recurrent falls. Uh, If a patient is uh, physically immobile um, or just does not exercise very often, uh, that also puts you at increased risk. And someone with impaired eyesight, um, even if they have corrective lenses, uh, puts them at an increased risk for stumbling or falling. Get some glasses, people. Yes. Or contacts. Yeah, that's true. It'd be like Mike and just never take them out. Listen, why do you going to tell my secrets on the podcast? <laughs> we already talked about that on the podcast. Did we? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. How do you think I knew that? I don't know. <laughs> I tell all my secrets on the podcast, <laughs> and then I forget I say them. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, looking at a DEXA scan, because mm-hmm. we have to find out kind of how bad uh, the person's bone mineral density uh, loss potentially is. And um, so we have this thing called a DEXA scan, which basically gives us this measurement of bone mineral density, usually looking at the spine and hip. Um, and it calculates either a T-score or a Z, like zebra score, um, is how it's actually um, kind of uh, interpreted. We base that on, for instance, T-scores, a normal would be uh, negative one or more. Um, osteopenia, which is considered low bone mass, so not quite osteoporosis, would be negative one to two point to negative two point four, and anything less than or equal to two point five or less, no, excuse me, negative two point five or less, is going to be considered osteoporosis. Yes, and so unlike golf, a lower score is bad, and the reason for that is uh, this is this is generally a World Health Organization criteria that define these, uh, and the way they look at T scores and Z scores. So a T score. Uh, is a value within one standard deviation of the mean bone mineral density value in a healthy young adult. So what they consider normal, healthy bone mineral density. Uh, If you are at least 1 to 2.5 standard deviations away from that, osteopenia, 2.5 or more standard deviations, like Mike said, osteoporosis, um, or I'm sorry, less than 2.5, and then greater than, or no, it's less than 2.5, and then less than 2.5 plus um, fragility fractures, indicates severe osteoporosis so that's why those values are what they are so we're genuinely thinking we're we're running one of these on a patient uh female patient who is 65 years or older um and then for men 70 years or older 
um, can have their should have their bone mineral density checked, and then depending on issues, it could happen earlier than that. So if they've had a, a fall from you know standing height or, or lower um, that resulted in a fracture, we may even want to check it as early as 50 or maybe a little bit more. But um, just to check and see what's going on, or if they have a long history of smoking alcoholism, or if they have a you know a, a genetic um, or a family history rather, which would um, of some sort of a fall at an early age. So we would want to check it at that point. But yeah, typically are only done in our elderly patients. Yeah, I did want to say that DEXA scan stood for dual energy x-ray absorptimetry. I don't know if I pronounced the last uh, word right, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah, so Mike was, was listing some guidelines. There are multiple guidelines. Mm. They are all generally similar, so you can probably come up with a rule of thumb for your patients. Um but yeah, 65 or older for women, seven year older for men, regardless of any risk factors. And then where it gets more complicated is risk factors and age and menopausal status. Um, if they have had prior fragility fractures um, or, you know, anyone being considered for pharmacologic therapy, you might want to follow up with that regardless of age, those sorts of things. So uh, U.S. Preventative Task Force Services Task Force has a uh, some recommendations too. So you can kind of look at those and determine what you think the best one is. Nas- National Osteoporosis Foundation. and uh, But they're all all pretty consistent for the most part. Yeah. And then we also have the FRAX tool, the Fracture Risk Assessment Tool, um, which is a uh, computer-based um, algorithm. I believe it's got an app as well um, that you can download. But it's from the World Health Organization, and it basically estimates the risk of having a fracture due to osteoporosis um, within the next 10 years. And so if uh, a page, you can also go to the website, www.nof.org, and uh, look at it on there. Um, and I believe you can download the app as well now, 2019 after all. Yeah, and that's another what, another thing you can use to diagnose. So if you're looking at the National Osteoporosis Foundation guidelines for diagnosis, a FRAC score with 10-year risk for hip fracture greater than 3% or for major osteoporotic fracture greater than 20%, in a patient who is osteopenic based on their T-score can be a diagnosis for osteoporosis. And then we also talked about a T-score of less than 2.5 um, at, uh, or at the spine or hip as determined by a DEXA scan, or if you just have a hip fracture. So if you have a hip fracture, regardless of bone mineral density testing, boom, you have osteoporosis. Boom. So, you know. That's safe to tell patients they have it too. Boom. Yeah. You have it. Congrats. <laughs> Cole told me to say that. That's that's, that's Mike's bedside manner. Yep. Uh, People love me for my honesty. One last vertebral proximal humerus pelvis, or in some cases distal forearm fractures uh, in the setting of low bone mass. So osteopenia can also diagnose you with osteoporosis. So once they have osteoporosis, what are we going to do? Well, we got to treat them, right? Well, maybe. We start on drugs or are we doing other stuff? So we won't go too much into uh, lifestyle measures, but um, they do encourage patients to do some sort of um, lifestyle uh, measurement, whether that's tra- um, weight training or some sort of a um, like a strengthening exercise. So it can be like a very low impact like walking or Tai Chi, um, but you can also do like weight training, yoga Things like that um, should be encouraged uh, as well as, you know, things like stopping the cigarette smoking and stuff like that if that's an issue. Tai Chi's come up in a few guidelines. Yeah, the osteoarthritis guidelines yeah. also talk about it. Yeah. Tai Chi's where it's at now. Yeah, what's Who going knew? on with that? You just, it's that whole grab the ball and push the ball away in slow motion. So 
highly ineffective for a street fight, I would imagine. Wait, that's what Tai Chi is? Yeah. Oh, you, that's like the this? Right, right, the right. Dragon Ball Z situation? Uh-huh. Well, like much slower, though. It's like Grandfather's Dragon Ball Z. Oh, is that what it is? Uh, very cool. And you have to wear the cool outfit while you do it. Even if you're a Caucasian guy, you look ridiculous, still wearing it. So what we need to do is franchise Oof. a Tai Chi box. I'm listening. You know? A box? Kind of like CrossFit. Oh, like... They have their boxes. Where, oh, you mean where they have a gym and they just call it a box? Because yeah. they, they want to... Because it's square. Cause, oh, jeez. Don't even get me started on that. If you do CrossFit, I'm sorry, but that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. We, I refuse to call it that. We love all our CrossFit listeners. I used to do CrossFit myself, and I still wouldn't call it a box. I'm like, this is a gym. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Make it up terms. Oh, jeez. Okay, sorry. This is what happens. Cole gets me on. This is when we start losing listeners, right? Yep, this is when we start losing we listeners keep going every week. <laughs> Okay, so let's start off with calcium and vitamin D supplements, since those are obviously the most readily accessible, and then Cole will talk to us about why we may or may not even like those. I actually don't have a whole lot on it, to be oh, honest. Great. But I, have, I set you up there, for the, and you just I know. I was like, maybe I can pull some of those studies, or maybe I can just talk about how it's controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. That's how you improv right there. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and just say it's controversial. I just wanted to nip it in the bud before you threw it my way. No, so. I, I like it. Respect. Yeah. So, calcium. Um, the recommended daily intake for most adults would be 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams. Um, the thing about that is you want to make sure that you're separating the doses out because you really can only absorb about 500 to 600 milligrams of elemental calcium per dose. So, if you are taking, let's say... Um, calcium carbonate in the form of, you know, Tums or, uh, you know, Oscal or um, one of those other, you know, brands that they have, um, Oyster um, Calcium, whatever the yeah, heck thing's it, called. That's exactly what I say in my head, Oyster Calcium, when I see that. When you see Oyster Calcium on a test, it's it's kind of calcium carbonate. Don't let them fool you. <laughs> but um, anyway, so that's about 40% elemental uh, calcium. So if you're taking, you know, 10,000 milligrams, you're not all of a sudden absorbing all this calcium. You're nope. just, you're not even going to absorb most of it you're gonna get just pass it right on through um calcium carbonate is also dependent on an acidic environment so if you have a patient that is on a ppi or even like an h2 blocker but especially a ppi um, and you're giving them calcium carbonate to replenish calcium levels please stop doing that because that is dumb give them calcium citrate Um, the citrate makes it to where you don't need an acidic environment, they're not acidic dependent, and you will still get it absorbed. Uh, you'll still absorb some of the calcium. So uh, it's not quite as much, about 21% of uh, elemental calcium, but you can take it with or without food, and you don't have to worry about what else you're taking it with. Mike loves calling people dumb on the podcast. That's fine. They know I'm just kidding. It's all love. <laughs> yeah, it's all if love. If you're offended, I didn't. Sorry. Not a much you can do about that. Cole dared me to say it. I did. Uh, so general recommendations for how much you would want to intake or potentially supplement in premenopausal women and men should consume at least 1,000 milligrams of calcium. Postmenopausal women, 1,200 milligrams. So that's total of diet plus supplement if you want to supplement. Um, they don't recommend more than 2,000 milligrams of calcium per day because there are side effects associated. Um so, yeah, I'm just going to say that, you know, there has been a general recommendation of uh, calcium and vitamin D supplementation and osteopenia, osteoporosis. Um, we could get way more of the weeds on it, and I think we probably will at some point, but there's just controversy as to um, is it worth it? Is it actually helping? Um, or is it making people feel like they're doing something before they start, like a bisphosphonate or something like that? Um, yeah, so there's controversy. I don't really have an opinion. I say if the patient wants to do it and that's going to make them feel better, you know, and they have the money, 
whatever. Um, but if they really ask your opinion, you might be able to tell them that it's controversial. And you, if you have a balanced diet, you probably get enough in your diet. So primary sources of calcium in the diet, milk, of course, and other dairy products, hard cheeses, yogurt, green vegetables like kale or broccoli. Mm, I love me some steamed broccoli. Yeah. You just got to throw some salt on the top. You have to. Yeah, have to. Uh, cereals, soy products, fruit juices usually uh, are fortified with calcium, so have it in there. Um, but yeah, Mike already mentioned the calcium supplements, but uh, yeah, that's the recommendations. So vitamin D. Uh, yep. Vitamin D is obviously what's needed in order to absorb calcium in the first place. Um, typically, uh, we would have, if we have like a deficiency from just not having enough vitamin D, whether the person doesn't go out in the sun enough, whatever the case may be, um, you know, we would give either vitamin D3 or D2. Um, D3 being more like the similar version that we get from the sun, D2 being more of a plant-based version. Um, and there, there is a study, because there's some kind of debate on which one to use, there is a study, like a big meta-analysis, that compares the two, and it does look like D3 is slightly more effective um, than D2. Now, whether that's clinically relevant in a patient, if you can't get D3, uh, maybe not really something to worry about. But if, if, you, if you're interested in that kind of stuff and nitty, nitty-gritty uh, data, then nitty-gritty. You know, yeah, you can. But the other thing to keep in mind is the patient's renal function because in order to be activated, if I give someone vitamin D3 or D2, it has to undergo a hydroxylation reaction in the liver and it has to go a, undergo a hydroxylation uh, reaction in the kidney to become fully activated. So if the person has chronic kidney disease, especially like you know stage 3, 3B or more, we definitely need to worry about uh, whether or not they're even activating the vitamin D and then go from there. So right. see the CKD episode for that. Yes, we talked a lot about it um, because there is supplementation that you can give in um, people with kidney disease and there's not really re- a reason to use the really high-dose vitamin D for long periods of time because they should either be replenished or there's something else going on. So just keep an eye on that if they are being on it uh, for an extended period. Um, the current recommendations for vitamin D in men over 70 and postmenopausal women are to consume at least 800 IUs or 20 micrograms of vitamin D per day. Um, lower vitamin D um, levels are not as effective and high doses can be toxic. So we generally consider it a pretty benign drug, uh, but it is one of the fat-soluble vitamins, right? A, D, E, and K. Yep. Um, so you don't really just pee it out like you do a bunch of stuff. It can accumulate um, really high doses can increase risk for kidney stones, confusion, uh, weight loss, frequent urination, um, other nonspecific stuff like nausea, vomiting, constipation, all that sort of thing. Things we want to avoid uh, with just an over-the-counter supplement. So if you don't think the patient needs it, um, bring it on down to um, some one of the over-the-counter doses uh, or check and see if there's something else underlying going on. So let's move into uh, our bisphosphonates. Sound good? Yeah. So bisphosphonates, these are going to be, we'll start off with our oral uh, agents first. So one of the ones, these are all going to be something you're probably familiar with, but um, alendronate, Fosfamax, is um, one of the most common ones used. And there's two different versions. We can either dose it as 5 milligrams daily, um, which is usually what we would see in, like, prevention um, in patients like postmenopausal women. Um, If it's actually treatment, we typically do either 10 milligrams daily or 70 milligrams once weekly, and uh, we can kind of dose it either way. 
and, uh, and that would be used for treatment versus the five milligrams or 35 milligrams once a week for prevention. And then also five milligrams daily if it's um, glucocorticoid induced osteoporosis. Yes. Um, and what these two are doing is, or at least Fosmax first inhibits osteoclast activity um, through the pathway. Uh, it's going to inhibit bone resorption. So talked a little bit about the patho. That's how that works. Uh, Resedronate, um, Actinel, it's also it's, uh, another one. It's also an anti-resorptive agent um, that does not affect bone mineralization. These uh, are very have a very low oral bioavailability. That's why it's important to take them as prescribed. Um, and uh, usually on the label, there will be a pretty long label about um, not eating or, or taking with a full glass of water, um, sitting up for a while, and um, not eating or drinking for a certain amount of time. Um, part of that is the oral bioavailability, and part of that is other side effects. The bone uptake of what um, is metabolized is about 20 to 80 percent, so it also varies significantly, and the remainder is excreted in the kidneys. Yeah, like Cole said, so um, you have to stay upright for at least 30 minutes and then 60 minutes if you're using the once-monthly version um, of Andronate the Boniva. And then uh, some of the other warnings to kind of keep in mind um, would be issues with... Um, the esophagus, where the tablet can become stuck, which is another reason why you need to remain upright and drink with a full glass of water, as well as um, osteonecrosis of the jaw yes. um, it can potentially be a, a risk as well. Um, and then hypocalcemia is another thing we have to consider. Um, these do have renal dose adjustments. And uh, so if it's less than um, 35, if your creatinine clearance is less than 35 mils per minute with alendronate or less than 30 with the other two, then it's not recommended. Um, but typically, you know, more common adverse effects is going to be like a hypocalcemia, um, potentially uh, hypophosphatemia, um, dyspepsia, nausea, vomiting, things like that. Yeah. Heartburn. And with treatment for osteoporosis in general, but also with bisphosphonates, there's some um, concern with long-term therapy. So a lot of times they'll recommend a drug holiday for a while. I think it's after about five years or so, but they can increase risk for other fractures. We mentioned osteonecrosis of the jaw, which is a different thing, but increased risk for certain fractures over long periods of time. Um, and they just essentially won't work as well after uh, a period of time. So I think there's different labeled labels and different uh, links on each one. So you just would want to check that out if you're initiating somebody on that or reevaluating them uh, after a series of years. And then we also have injectable versions. So we have uh, a bandronate um, injectable as well, which is a three milligram IV every three months. And then we also have uh, um, the reclast, which is given five milligrams IV every two years. Um, and for prevention, and then it can get, be given five milligrams every year for actual treatment. And uh, these, again, can cause hypocalcemia. Um, the reclast has renal dose adjustments, so creatinine clearance less than 35. We need to probably not use it. Um, and then the same issues as far as, like, GI upset, um, issues like that, uh, we would do, we still need to consider. Is it reclass like a yearly in infusion or something like that? Yeah, that's what I just said. You did? Okay. I was reading. Cool. You weren't listening to my, it's my called, points. it's called reiterating ah. for purposes of learning. Amazing. That's what that is. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that's, that's what we are. Simply stunning. That's how we do it. Yep. Well, 
so the only other metabolism modifier that's kind of how these are classified, the ones we've been talking about, is the calcitonin salmon, uh, which is a <laughs> which is uh, fascinating. But it's a, a nasal spray, which I've actually I dispense fairly regularly to Do to a few patients. Yeah, um, is another is something else that can be used in treatment specifically for postmenopausal uh, women with osteoporosis um, who are more than five years postmenopause. Not necessarily a first line agent. We usually consider um, the uh, bisphosphonates our first line agents, uh, but there are other indications for some of these other drugs we're going to talk about depending on where the patients are relative to menopause and um, relative to their fracture history and risk. Yeah, and as far as like calcitonin, I kind of think of even being used in like an emergency situation where the patient's coming in with really high levels of calcium in the system. I, I believe that's hmm. more where I kind of am thinking about it. I, I hope I'm saying that right. But that's where I would typically, like a calcium-emetic type effect, um, instead it's, of like giving Sensipar daily. It's one of those things where there's not the outcomes aren't great as far as reducing incidence of, of fractures, uh, but it does increase bone mineral density. So, not first line. All right. So, um, looking at our estrogen agonists, antagonists, um, like our Avista, um, which is going to be uh, more like a CIRM, a selective mm-hmm. estrogen receptor modulator, and um, that is going to be used uh, in prevention and treatment in postmenopausal women, as uh, as Cole stated earlier. Um, the big issue with this is anything that is affecting estrogen levels. Um, we are automatically thinking increased risk of VTE, um, potentially increased risk of death due to stroke, um, especially uh, contraindicated if the patient has a current VTE or if they're currently pregnant. And then, you know, as far as adverse effects, we're thinking mostly like hot flashes and mm-hmm. um, peripheral edema, things like that, leg cramps. Mm-hmm. Um, Flu-like symptoms, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we would also want to um, discontinue this about 72 hours prior to any like planned uh, prolonged immobilization due to the risk of clotting. Yeah, that's not what we want. No, definitely not. And we also have our, our uh, combination of conjugated estrogens um, and uh, basidoxaphene, which is the duave. Um, you don't see that one too often. At least I don't see that one too often. I don't either. Um, but that's typically used for like a prevention postmenopausal women that have an intact uterus. So it is because it's just straight estrogen and there's no uh, progesterone component. Um, we need to make sure that it's um, we're using that. Or I'm sorry, because it's an estrogen combination with um, another uh, agent, we can use that in patients that have a uh, intact uterus. Um, that you know, I've not had a um, had it removed. So um, the black box warning is uh, pretty significant, and um, also increased risk of VTE, obviously, but also endometrial cancer um, mm-hmm. has been noticed in this, and uh, dementia as well as a potential. Um, and then contraindications if a patient has a history of breast cancer, um, any kind of uterine bleeding, um, any active VTE or pregnancy, we can't use it. So um, another class are the parathyroid analogs. So essentially synthetic parathyroid hormone. Um, Forteo is the first uh, and the one that you'll probably see more often. Teriparatide is the generic name. Uh, It was approved for men and women at high risk of fracture due to primary 
or hypogonadal osteoporosis or postmenopausal osteoporosis in women. Um, those are two different indications. Um, yeah, it's a parathyroid hormone. Parathyroid hormone is uh, very important, like we talked about earlier, in regulating calcium and phosphate, um, and it's going to play a role in that uh, resorption and um, uh, bone uh, building uh, phases. Another one that I've seen recently, I mean, it's one of the newer ones, and I've actually dispensed it a few times, is Timlos, um, another synthetic peptide analog of parathyroid hormone. Um, similar indications, uh, postmenopausal women, um, who are at high risk for fracture um, because they've had a prior osteoporotic fracture or they have multiple risk factors um, and have, have failed or are intolerant to other therapy. Uh, so usually these are reserved for um, not last line but later in therapy, and they're both injections as well. Yeah, we have to use them for typically two years or less um, because there is a black box warning for an increased risk of osteosarcoma. With these, um, those were seen in rat studies, but definitely something that uh, we need to at least make sure the patients are aware of. Um, also, can cause some hypercalcemia and um, yeah, orthostatic hypotension, um, things like that. We have to watch out for um, leg cramps, pain, nausea, um, orthostasis. Those are kind of the more common um, things we would see. And then with uh, Timolo specifically, we would see the potential for an increase. Um, in uric acid, so it could precipitate out of the gout flare as well. But yeah, these are, are more expensive agents, and like Cole said, kind of used um, more in specific patients. Yeah, and they're always, almost always going to need to be approved by the insurance. And if a patient is uninsured, no way they're going to be using it, unless they're on a, a, you know, a program where the company pays for it. Yeah. All right. What else we got? So there's a couple uh, last ones. Monoclonal antibodies, which we mentioned earlier. Um, Prolia, denosumab, is the older one. Avenity is the newer one. Uh, Prolia, I believe it's an every six-month injection. Um, mm -hmm. But it targets the uh, rank L, um, the uh, nuclear factor kappa B ligand, um, which uh, plays a role in that uh, process of bone resorption. Um, generally dosed 60 milligrams. Yeah, like I said, every six months, it's a sub-Q injection in the upper arm, upper thigh, or abdomen. Um, its indications are more specific men at high risk uh, for fracture who uh, are receiving androgen deprivation therapy or non-metastatic prostate cancer. Um, also, glucocorticoid-induced osteoporosis in men and women at high risk for fracture. Um, yep, that's uh, prolio. Avenity is a different monoclonal antibody. Um, it binds sclerostin, which is one of the regulatory factors in bone metabolism. Um, did you mention the uh, osteonecrosis of the jaw with prolia? No. So um, that is another issue with prolia, just like it was um, with the other agents we talked about. But um, the osteonecrosis of the jaw is something that they have to consider. So there's an increased risk seen with invasive dental procedures. And so there was some talk for a while about whether or not you could use um, this if a person was undergoing some sort of oral surgery. Um, but a lot of the oral surgeons are, will not operate if they have a patient that's been taking this. They let it get out of the system first before they'll um, operate. And yeah, it's tough because it uh, lasts a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But yeah, um, and then there's also been issues with uh, atypical femur fractures. 
Um, and then uh, hypocalcemia, as we would imagine, is, is at risk as well. And then um, one of the things to consider is if you're going to discontinue the uh, denosumab, that you could get a potential for a rap- rapid bone loss. So you would want to consider like an alternative agent to kind of take its place once you do switch them off of it. Yeah. But yeah. That's the main stuff. There are other like calcium emetics, other estrogens, other things you would consider. I'd say those are the primary ones and a couple of the new kids on the block. Affinity yeah. and Timlos. Bam. There you go. There Everything you need to know you go. Well, to get started. To get started before <laughs> learning you learn about the real stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll take, we'll take an episode where we take a disease state and it's like, let's just walk through this algorithm and, uh, well, I guess that's what we do with patient cases, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's what we what do with it, every, what it's come down to is we don't know what we're talking about anymore because we've gone too deep and we just have to walk through basic reviews for everything. <laughs> so it is what it is. Until we do patient cases and then we yeah. walk through. And then we just do diabetes over and over again. That is very true. So, you know, it is what it is. Maybe we'll throw osteoporosis in there on our next patient case. Ooh, that would be... It's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, how hard could it be? How hard could it be? Yeah, we'll probably consult an expert before we do that to you guys. We like bringing on experts. Yeah, that's good. way better than us assuming we're correct. Yeah. But, cool. Anything else? That's all I got on this one. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, thank you all for the... Uh, nice emails we've been getting lately and we've you know really appreciated that we've heard from a lot of you guys actually um instagram linkedin we've been getting all kinds of uh messages so it's been cool to kind of have you guys reach out to us and uh you know we really appreciate the support and everyone listening um like i've said multiple times i'm i'm stunned that any of you take the time out of your busy lives to listen to us you know chat on about nonsense so um we definitely appreciate it and uh you know, if you ever have any questions, concerns, please reach out to us on any of the social media platforms. Our, our emails are listed below. And um, if you do like the podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating. And then, uh, yeah, check out uh, the other platforms. We have um, T-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff like that available now in case you want to get, uh, you know, super trendy like all the cool kids. And uh, other than that, keep on listening. We appreciate it. Thanks.